Hi, and welcome to the Andy Gorman Golf One Putt Podcast. And I'm joined today with my wingman and good friend from Mediate, Gareth Shaw. Hi, Gareth. How are you? Hi, Andy. Yeah, very good. Thank you. Are you? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm trusting that tech is not going to play a part in today's podcast, although it will be golf tech. Maybe we can talk about golf technology, but um, yeah. Let's, <laughs> uh, so apologies, everybody. We've had a few technical issues. Um, we did say we we're going to be a day late. Um, we're two days late. Um, it's partly down to me in terms of uh, I was due to play golf on Monday, which was getting in the way of us being able to record because, of course, you've got to focus on playing golf uh, competitively. Uh, that didn't happen. And when it didn't happen, and we will fill you in on the details of that um, in due course, but um, when that didn't happen, Gareth's very busy schedule got grabbed by somebody else, I'm sure. And uh, we were not able to uh, to get recorded during the day. And yesterday we had some technical issues with our podcast. So hey-ho, um, we're here and we are trusting that tech will lie down and allow us to uh, to do what we need to do. So um, yeah, we've had a good weekend there, Gareth. Yeah, really good. Um, I think both of us are playing a little bit of golf at the moment or practicing certainly anyway. And it's nice mm. to, to kind of get some good scores on the board and, and just enjoy it. I'm really enjoying it at the moment. I don't know about you, Andy. Uh, I am. I've got to say that um, shout out to Ping Europe, um, who um, well, I suppose came to the rescue is one in one sense. I had um, acquired a, an alternative driver. My... Uh, my 400 LST um, sustained, obviously, from my brute force and power, my 450-yard drives that I'm hitting these days, um, to come to a small um, crack in the neck and um, subsequently uh, sent it back to Ping as, um, you, you know, their, their warranty is probably second to none, to be fair. And uh, they very kindly replaced it with a 410 LST. Now, I'm pretty sure there's going to be something like a 420 coming out relatively shortly. But, wow, I've got to say that um, as much as I was gaming, uh, you know, a very significant driver in the uh, uh, Tour Edge, Tour Exotics 220 Pro, this 410 LST is so easy to hit, so easy to use. Um, and, you know, I get all the right numbers. I even drove a par four over 300 yards the other day. Wow. Um, and I'm not going to say we were playing in any kind of wind either. So um, certainly wasn't a one club wind. Um, so any assistance down, um, you know, or slightly across was um, plainly appreciated. But, uh, yeah, nice little two-putt birdie lipped out for eagle. Um, but ultimately, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm getting a bit of golf out. And, you know, so five birdies, you know, is not to be sniffed at. Um, you know, wow. around the golf. So next week, are we going to have to change the name to the Andy DeChambeau podcast? Is that what we're going we, to? We're not going there. We're not going there. No, I mean, you know, we, well, we're not going to do it with an additional forty pounds in weight. How's that? So um, you know, we're doing it our own way, as Andy Gorman is renowned for doing it his own way. Uh, in order that you can do it your own way, um, you know, because ultimately. It is about being instinctive um, on and around the greens, which is what we're all about. And, uh, yeah, it's just nice to be able to get to stand on the tee with a little bit of confidence. Um, and I'm not saying that the, the 400 LST drive 
I've been in the bag for a number of years and um, very, very comfortable with it. But uh, yeah, to be able to stand on the tee and be able to feel you can play any shot you feel like you want to be able to play, a little bit of draw, a little bit of fade, you know, give it a jump on it and vomit, you know, it's a, I mean, that's a good feeling. It's a good feeling, irrespective of, you know, I'm the man who stands over a putter with a good feeling these days. But, you know, that's, uh, yeah, it's nice to have a good feeling with uh, the other clubs in the bag too. But doesn't that instill you with so much confidence, though, going into those short pitches, into greens, and then giving yourself eagle chances? And I think something Bob Rattale once said of kind of golf's a game of mm. confidence. And if that's from, that's from either the green to the tee or the tee to the green. Yeah, you know, I mean, I, I am I'm significantly comfortable, you know, com- and, uh, yeah, confidence as well to a degree. You know, when I get um, inside 100 yards, you know, I'm, I have no fears inside 100 yards. Um, you know, there's, there isn't a shot that troubles me. You know, and I've, look, I've played the game long enough as well to know that, you know, if there's a particular uh, tight pin position that you don't play for, you don't play for it, you know. And, and the nice thing is yeah. that, you know, because I've got the confidence that I've got with the wedges, that I can pull a club to hit it into the area of the green is going to give me the best opportunity to maybe make a, you know, a reasonable length putt, you know, 20, 25 feet, as against trying to go in tight for a flag that, you know, ultimately has double bogey screaming all over it if um, if you miss the green. Mm-hmm. So, um, or certainly the potential of it. And, you know, and I think you know, when we look at performance and, you know, performance on the golf course, the best players are the guys that eliminate the double bogeys. And, you um, you know, we saw that at the Wyndham, of course, this week with, um, yeah. uh, oh, my word, his name's just slipped me. Ian Herman. Yeah. Oh, well, Herman. Mr. Herman, obviously winning, but um, the, the guy who was leading it, was it um, uh, Bayon Nim? Um, yeah. You know, he, he made a couple of errors, which, you know, I only caught the highlights uh, on, on Monday evening, but uh, he made a couple of errors. There in that last round, seemed to be hitting the wrong club off the tee, and ended up having to, you know, reload in one, and you know, so made double, and then you know, drove into a hazard for hitting a club that was definitely too long. You know, trying to press, trying to get close with shorter wedges and stuff like that, and you know, it puts a lot of pressure on your game. You know, and you're already trying to win a golf tournament, so you know, the, the pressure's intense enough. Maybe a lack of clarity in thinking. Um, I don't know, um, but ultimately, you know, sometimes it's about playing easier shots or you know making the the shots available to you as easy as possible, and um, you know not yeah. bringing the you know a bottleneck fairway into play where a three wood and you know if it's a three wood and eight iron or a drive and a wedge, you know what I mean, an eight iron. And a wedge is, you know, the the difference, you know, sort of disbursement wise uh, is not going to be huge. And, um, you know, ultimately you can play with the same swing. So, you know, it's key really that, uh, you know, as a, as a player, we make the decisions that are going to give us the best opportunities. And yes, if you're hitting the golf ball straight, you may well be prone to wanting to hit your driver when, of course, the opportunity um, you know, to, to sort of hit the fairway presents itself probably a little bit easier with a long iron or, or fairway wood into the, you know, off the tee. So, you know, it, decisions start at the tee and, you know, and confidence starts at the tee. And if you, you lack a bit of confidence, then, you know, 
just do the best thing possible and find the fairway with your least lofty club that you feel most comfortable with. And that, that, that's something I picked up from the Jack Nicholas books. Um, you know, as a kid growing mm. up, um, I had golf my way was the the book and I think it was um, Jack Nicholas playing lessons if I remember right a little paperback series one two and three and you know sort of one page tips on how to play and you know sort of how to approach the first tee shot was use the, the most comfortable club in the long use most comfortable club in your bag and if it happens to be a seven iron to get it in the fairway then hit a seven iron you know and, and get off to a decent start now you know obviously if it's a a 400 yard, you know, 450 yard par four, you don't really want to be hitting your second shot first, but you know, get off to a good start, you know, instills confidence if you can find the fairway. And if you've got a couple of shots on that hole, if you're a 20 handicapper and you know, it's a difficult opening hole, then, you know, hit a couple of seven irons and leave yourself maybe another seven iron into the green, but give yourself a chance, you know, to get off to, you know, a three yeah. shot par four, you know, is, is absolutely fine. And if you're, you know, touring professional and get it on the short stuff you know how to do it you know just getting focused to find the shape of the shot that fits your eye that will you know get the ball in play and you know sometimes you know there are holes you know on plenty of golf courses that trouble our eye um you know yeah. just getting off to a, a, a good start isn't necessarily about hitting that bomber off the first tee you know 400 yards mr dechambeau but if you can get away with it and find the fairway and going with a wedge on a par five, then hey, I'm not going to knock you. <laughs> you know, get a chance <laughs> to do that by all means, crack on. But, um, uh-huh. you know, something I did notice, Andy, from the golf at the weekend is just the, the amount of different types of strokes and the different types of grips that are now on tour. And this is from from the, the ladies to the, to the gents from the European mm. tour to the PGA tour. And I, I noticed the kind of top six to top eight in the PGA this weekend at the Wyndham had different kind of strokes and different kind of holds on the golf club. What, from, from your kind of opinion and professional background as well and experience, ha, has the, the putting stroke evolved or has the grip evolved or is it just something that the players try and they stick with? They're trying to fix a, a fault. You might be in danger of instilling a little bit of passion into this conversation. Um, Yeah. Look, you know, tour players, their job is to get the ball in the hole in as few strokes as possible. In fact, it is for everybody. But of course, if you're a recreational golfer and you're playing golf at the weekend for fun with your friends and, you know, you might have a few dollars or pounds on it or whatever, you know, ultimately, you know, you're playing for fun. Um, Or it should be fun guys if you're not having fun then you need to do something about it with all due respect um the guys that the guys on tv of course they're they're trying to win tournaments they're the ones that we're watching on tv are not watching the pennies um you know the yeah. ones that are on tv ultimately are the guys that are you know sort of making a living playing the game and and doing pretty well at it i mean shout out to sam horsfield for his second winning three weeks mm-hmm. you know at celtic manor this week i mean that's um you know, that's pretty spectacular. <laughs> and broke a record as well. I mean, what a record to have. You know, win, miscut, win. First player to ever do it. That's uh, <laughs> some some, uh, mm-hmm. some shout out in the history books. But, you know, a player is looking for the 1%. You know, the recreational golfer doesn't realise necessarily what that is. Um, 
And so when they work with, you know, the coaches on tour and, you know, and again, shout out to the guys that are doing that, you know, the Phil Kenyans of this world are, you know, few and far between, you know, and I just don't know how Phil does it, to be honest with you, Phil, you, you know, my hat's off to you because I don't know how many players you've got when we were talking and a few years back now you were saying about you've got about 11 or 12 players and you're struggling then. I think you've got more players now and I don't know how, just how, how you do it, to be honest. Um, you know, so my hat's off to you. And and ultimately, you know, you're only spending about an hour or two a week, you know, with each player. You know, you, you're going to struggle to juggle a diary from Monday to Wednesday with all due respect. Maybe 10 working hours a day, so 30 hours. If you've got 10 players, that's three uh, hours that, that they can get. You know, you have got to have a little bit of downtime for food, uh, etc. But, you know, I mean, that doesn't happen that often. <laughs> if you're busy like Phil, it won't. Um, <laughs> you know, but let's just say you've got 30 players and, you know, or 15 players. You know, you've got two hours to work with those guys. Your schedule's going to be pretty tight. You've got to have the players discipline. That's never easy. Um, you know, they're going to come for their slots. They're going to want their slot times when they want them. And, you know, there's only so many hours in the day. So it's extremely difficult to do um, to do that. And you are literally looking to try and achieve the 1%. It's not necessarily going to be a major stroke restructuring exercise, um, albeit that may be what's necessary. Um and so what happens is you get onto the you get into tournament week and you are trying to find a feel. And you know, that may be change the putter. It may change the look of it, change the, the perspective feel of how it allegedly swings in your hands based on the sales pitch of the rep for the week. Um, you know, and um, you know, players are gullible just like recreational golfers. Um, you know, man, putter manufacturers are looking at ways to um, to sell putters at the end of the day. You know, my argument would be just get them fitted properly and you'll sell them all day long. Um, you know, and the manufacturers don't want to do that necessarily, um, partly because, you know, the people to fit them are not educated enough to be able to build them, you know, the way the player needs it. Um, that would be a major undertaking and exercise, you know, which I think should happen um, at the end of the day. It's not like you're trying to fit um, 13 clubs with loft on you're trying to fit one club with next to no loft on um, but it would it would be a massive educational exercise to do it and and I think it should happen um, and I think the manu manufacturers should take the ball by the horns they won't because they want you to buy another putter um, and their fear would be that you are not going to buy another putter if you find the one that fits so you know, and the players are a little bit like that as well in terms of, you know, the, the reps will know the players that are fickle, the players that are looking for that 1%, they're looking for something a bit different. They've always got a new putter uh, up their sleeve, um, you know, to show them. And it might be a different colour these days because, you know, we're not reinventing the wheel. Well, we are, but we're trying to do it in different colours these days. Um you know, so but if you get the length right, you posture better. If you posture better, you get the brain clear. You know, and sometimes just changing a little something, you know, maybe making the club a little bit longer, but it's only going to be a little bit not necessarily fit perfectly. Um, you, you know, it, it's all those little things that they're looking for. So, yeah, a little tweak to a grip here and there. 
you know, is is the most likely way to to sort of try and exact a change. Uh, you know, you swap your left hand down below the right, and your shoulder alignment changes. That's going to affect your path of club, and it may well be the path of club is an issue. It may well be that the player. In normal circumstances, have a chance to get home, puts themselves onto either their own putt lab or putt lab at the local club or wherever it is they hang out, you know, and get their coaching. And all of a sudden, they realise that path of club is an, an issue. So we're going to work on that. Note: shoulder alignment is out, forearm alignment is out. Let's make a change to the grip that will affect that in the fastest possible way. And you know, player finds the honeymoon for a fortnight, gets two good tournaments under his belt you know, banks a bit of cash, gets a little bit of confidence and all of a sudden, you know, they've found the new way of getting the job done. Um, I did say the honeymoon, um, you know, so subsequently mm -hmm. that in two or three weeks time, they're looking for something else. And, you know, and, and that could be brought on by, you know, the fact that, you know, somebody's noticed that they didn't put quite as well that, that you know, sort of very next week. And so, right, opportunity to put another putter in the bag. So, you know, uh, and of course, then that's before you start thinking about the different grip types and, and the like, you know, I mean, we've got super strokes, got a grip now so you can shove the club up your forearm. I mean, you know, <laughs> nowhere I'd like to shove it. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> nothing like Andy Gorman to be controversial, is there? Um, uh, but, great, but yeah, definitely. I mean, you know, I mean, look, anchoring for me, yeah, and we talk about it. Yeah, I mean, Webb Simpson finished third, fourth, who finished, you know, finished in the top half a dozen, didn't he? You know, another great tournament week for him. He's playing really well. You know, I, I sort of dot the cap to Webb. I think he gets the most out of his game, and he's obviously found a way to work with the putter. He was a guy that used the belly putter, um, you know, to good effect, you know, sort of 10 years or so ago. And, you know, uh, to some degree, I feel sorry for the fact that he's had to find another way. But, you know, with all due respect to the R RNA and the USGA, you know, I wrote a letter to them, which I never got acknowledged, just almost as if it never arrived, um, you know, stating my claim to the fact that they were thinking about, you know, eliminating what they were calling anchoring. Well, they didn't. They didn't. Yeah. You know, if you've got a club going up the forearm, it's supposed to be held in the hands. So if you've got a club being held up the forearm, you know, then that's anchoring. And I don't care how you put it out there, you know, and whoever wants to sort of dismiss it or argue it or whatever, it's anchoring. It's designed to stop something from happening. And, you know, this is a problem that we've got with, you know, with anchoring, anchoring, you know, with the club going into the, um, uh, being held with two hands and then the hands held to the chest. I hadn't, or the chin, I hadn't got a problem with because it was the hand being held on the chest or the chin, not, um, you know, the club. The club wasn't stuck in the belly. I mean, it, it, um, I'm trying to think now uh, what year it would have been. So I was working at the Belfry in the mid to late 80s and I was privy to a issue with regards to rules with Peter Senior and Sam Torrance. And the, I was privy to, to the conversation and it was funny and my Scottish accent isn't as funny as the, 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 the conversation that went ahead, um, made us laugh anyway. Um, but ultimately, Peter Senior was brought in along with Sam to discuss the potential of 
affixing the the club to the body. Now that was in the rule book. That terminology, affixing, I can't, can't remember the rule, what number it was, but affixing the club to the body. And it became, it was poignant because Sam Torrance, Peter basically had got the club resting on his chin and there wasn't a disqualification or anything or any rules infraction. It was um, you know, because of what was said and, and how it was, how the terminology was then uh, interpreted. And um, th there was there was something um, with regards to it. Sam, I think, had got his club resting on his chin as well there was peter was on his chest if i remember rightly and sam was definitely on his chin and i remember the um i think it was andy mcphee um or it might have been john paramore but it was one of the older fellas that um you know older statesman of the rules um had was was leading the conversation and and the discussion over the rules and the bit that stood out for me was the fact that you cannot affix the club to the body and Sam Sarandon said, with all due respect, it's not fixed to my body. It's fixed to my head. Now, of course, being Scottish, yeah. head actually mm -hmm. is, uh, and I'm sure we'll have a few. Um, Neil, Neil shouting <laughs> you out, mate. You might have a little chuckle on that one. But um, Neil, the Scotsman in Texas, mm -hmm. you know who I am. Um, but And you know who you are. Um, but ultimately, you know, mm -hmm. he'd was where the club was affixed it was fixed to his chin it wasn't affixed to his body as he said it was not his body it was his head and you know to the chin particular they the the, the sum total of it came about well if you can put your thumb on your chin so that your thumb rests on top of the grip then the club is not affixed to any part of your body other than your hands and and that was then the interpretation of the rule um now, you know, we're talking something that was going on now 30 years ago. So if, if I've missed a point or two subtly, that's all it will be. And, and that, for me, was a big deal, you know, that you are affixing the club to the body. And then the rule changed somewhere along the line and allowed belly pottery anchoring to take place. Why on earth did the rules committees across the ponds agree to that? That was my first beef on it. And then secondly, you know, two more than two points of contact for me is fixing, is, is anchoring. And, you know, so it's not going to, I'm hoping it will go away. I'm pretty sure it won't because of this conversation. But, but ultimately, if we can address the fact that the golf club is still affixed to somewhere other than the hands, it's anchored. And that, that's the bit that really sort of, sort of ticks my box really flicks my switch um mm. you know and clubs strapped up the arm you know you might as well anchor, you know might as well put a strap in around it you know because as soon as you've got it tucked in there i mean it, you know one it looks awkward you know we see to shambo and cooch and you know I'm, i think it's fred couples is doing it as well and you know there are guys out there that are doing it you know ultimately the reason why your wrist break down is because of poor posture your putter was too short you know, the daft thing is that most of these guys are all using clubs that are longer than they would have done if they were using a, um, you know, a standard length club, you know, not just because it's yeah. anchored, but because of where their hands are positioned, they're gripping higher up the club than if they were using a standard club. And if the manufacturers had just given them a longer club, they could have stood up to it anyway. 
their chest rotation wouldn't have stopped and causing the wrist to break down. And, you know, and this is, this is the, the big deal. It is the poor posture based over the fact that the club is too short that causes the problem. So, you know, players, then we move on to the different grip types. Then ultimately we're working along the lines of what does it do to stop the right hand becoming too active? You know, we go with the claw, we come, you know, Miguel, you know, Jimenez is, you know, he's doing reverse claw now and because he feels that the left wrist is still breaking down. Well, it will because your chest has stopped moving. And, you know, with all due respect, Miguel, whoever it is that's giving you advice, you know, or maybe he isn't, the issue is in your chest rotation, not in, or the lack of, not the fact that your left wrist is weaker than your right wrist. Your left wrist isn't breaking down. So, you know, find, you can find the way to get the job done very much easier, you know, and because it looks awkward, it looks uncomfortable, it looks cumbersome. And, you know, I mean, how many more cliches can I throw at it? It looks awful, apart from, <laughs> you know, anything else. It looks like you've got a problem. And, you know, and we all know yeah. what you're trying to fix, but you're not fixing the problem you're trying to stop something from moving and you know and and the whole crux of the matter is putting stroke is a fluid moving part it's called a stroke for a reason you know and it's not and that's not going to change and terminology is not going to change that said you know putters of course change terminology we call heel and toe putters blades these days but you know i mean you know that's rest the part you know stuff like that i mean ultimately for me the big deal is fix the problem fix the problem just deal with the problem and then the other stuff can be understood so that you are able to control the reactive parts rather than not control the reactive parts which is you know if you don't move your chest through the ball if you don't get your sternum moving past the ball during the stroke ultimately the wrists will break down and you know of course invariably that's going to be a leftward miss for the for the average right-handed golfer, and I'm just talking about an average golfer. We're talking about everybody who walks through the door. I mean, I've said this for years that you know anybody who walks through my studio, I've got a ninety-eight um, percent chance of seeing a ball go left on their short-range putts. The other two percent have figured out how not to, and on longer-range putts, they're coming up short. Occasionally, they'll whack it past because their hands release, knowing full well or the brain sort of flicks the switch that says, no, you need to hit Amherst more times, you're going to leave it three foot short. Of course, then you're going to knock it 10 foot past um, because you're just doing it with your hands and you've got no feel. So poor posture causes you to lose your feel. And I'm not just making this a sweeping statement. It is absolutely categorically proven that without the two to three hours a day that the tour players are putting in, they would be awful on the greens. They'd be no better yeah. than a recreational golfer. And that's not to say that a recreational golfer, you know, is going to be a bad putter. They don't have to be, you know, and you don't have to do two or three hours a day like a tour player. You do if you've got poor technique, if you've got poor posture and you're trying to stop the hands from breaking down, you're trying to stop the instinctive characteristics of the stroke come about from a restrictive movement. You know, no, you know, and this sounds like I'm throwing big words at it, but it, it is ultimately, I can't make it any more simple than that. Poor posture means you're going to have to practice a lot you know, just to be half decent. And, you know, the best players in the world, with all due respect, are not great putters. If they were, they wouldn't miss so many putts. 
And you, you know, yeah. you might say, "Oh, you know, Andy, you've been a bit harsh. They're playing and you know, excruciating." Look, they're the best players in the world, and they prove it from tee to green. <laughs> we do not watch many golfers at a weekend at a at a our local golf club that can hit the golf ball as well as a tour player. No, it's one or two, but they're literally just one or two. The average tour player strikes the golf ball incredibly well. You don't see bad ball striking. You used to, but you don't anymore, you know, um, because we've placed the emphasis on the ability to be able to strike the golf ball well and hit it a good distance. But putting, you know, players are still missing more putts than they hold. And I know the target's only four and a quarter inches. We talk about it every week. I talk about it every day in the studio. It's four and a quarter inches. You can still find it. And you can find it more often than you do. You know, and we, we go on about the fact that, you know, tour players go, you know, six months since they missed a foot and put a putt inside five or six feet. You know, that's phenomenal. But actually, that should be normal. And, and you know, my argument yeah. would then be, well, tournaments winning scores, you know, should be 25 to 30 under par because they're the best players in the world. And, you know, and they prove that from tee to green, how good they actually are. But when they're on the green, they're, cut, they're putting kind of average. Now, you know, obviously they're better than average, right? They're, they're, they're putting good, but very rarely will they put well. Very rarely will they put, you know, where they're holding more putts than they miss. And, you know, I see no reason why if you're practicing for two or three hours a day, you can't be holding more putts than you miss every single time you go out. And, it, you know, I had a great comment thrown at me a few months ago by an elite player. And, you know, he said to me, he said, well, it's all right, 20 handicapped golfer having 26 putts. They don't hit many greens. Or do you think a 20 handicapped golfer is going to hit it as close as you when they do? <laughs> you're one of the best ball strikers on the planet. You know, you're a tour player. You're making a living out of the game. Because you're a tour player, because you're a great ball striker, you think a 20 handicap golfer, when he actually hits the green, he's going to hit it more regularly, closer than you? Of course not. That's why he's a 20 handicap golfer. But it doesn't mean that you can't you can't learn to putt as a 20 handicap golfer and putt exceptionally well and average less than 30 putts around. And you're only practicing for probably an hour a week, not an hour a day even. You know, and the tour players then sort of. Well, well, I'm averaging about 31 putts, but I hit 14 greens in regulation. Well, yeah, there's an argument for hitting it a little closer, but actually there's got to be a weakness in your short game or there's got to be a weakness on the greens as well if that's your average, as if, you know, you're barely breaking par if that's the case. And you ain't going to make any money. Yeah, because I've just pulled up some some stats for the, the PJ Tour for 2020 and Tour average um, putts is 29.05. Average. Average, wow. yeah. yeah. And look, you know, I'm, look, these guys are playing under pressure. No, no, mm. no question, but they're in control of the pressure. They could take that pressure away by learning to adapt to skill that was going to start the ball on the line they intended and hit it at a speed. You know, well, I'll tell you what was really interesting. You know, we watched the highlights on Monday. And, you know, Becky made a really good comment. You know, for those of you who don't know, it's my wife who has been caddying for me. Um, you know, in the last year playing in competitive golf and, you know, getting into the game 
um, you know, you know, in terms of understanding terminology, couldn't wish to have a better wife, to be honest. And you know, shout out to her for that. Um, wanting to do it, she said. But she said, "Oh, I love this highlights thing." She said, "How good are they on the greens?" I said, "Well, you're seeing all the best shots. <laughs> you're seeing all the yeah. best opportunities made, rather than seeing, you know, putts that we would normally watch." And she said, "Oh, that's funny because when you were watching a bit of the golf earlier on today, which was, uh, it's going to sound." wrong but it's not meant that way because it was actually live play which was the ladies golf and in very windy conditions of course putting is much more subjective as all other shots are in the wind and it's much more difficult of course we you know we didn't have a you know significantly low score win the tournament for the girls but ultimately you know again great play by stacy lewis who does center play really well in the wind um and is an extremely good putter but ultimately um, you know, there's a lot of missed putts taking place, you know, very obvious, but of course it's live. So you're watching every putt that has some significance to, you know, the leaderboard. You know, we're not talking about, you know, somebody who's, you know, sort of back end of the leaderboard who's probably missed more putts and, you know, probably just about scraped to make the cut. We're talking about significant possibilities of a move up the leaderboard, um, you know, and you see that pressure pack scenario. But the critical element is when you watch, you know, normal golf, you know, on TV and, you know, normal tournaments. And we've not been watching that for the last three, two or three months. You know, we ultimately get, you know, sort of a lot of putts going in, you know, or car crash, you know, a lot of short range misses. You know, and there are fewer of those these days. But, um, you know, get, get that you know sort of highlight reel you know and all you see is good shots all you see is you know or, or a quirky bounce or something but you know you you are going to see a lot more hold putts and you see them from ridiculous distances as well you know and that's great to see but of course you're not seeing players averaging 26 putts or less than 27 putts around which you know 26 putts around has to be the benchmark average that's what you've got to be aspiring to you know, to to get the job done. You know, hold more putts than you miss. I just think it's so so fascinating when you kind of delve deep into stats and the way that the guys and the girls put on tour. And from your experience, Andy, as mm. well, do do they have a lot of free time on their hands to to kind of manipulate and change their pots kind of post round and before the week starts? Yeah, I mean, they do. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, some players don't like to get there before Wednesday, you know, tournament starts on Thursday, don't like to get there before Wednesday, have one practice round. They've seen the course before, one practice round and get into mm -hmm. it. And, you know, if they can arrange their travel schedules, so, you know, one of the biggest challenges, and the coaches suffer this as well, but, you know, we're, we're not, we're there to do, we're there to help the players. And that's why we go to the events. Um, you know, and, you know, player asks us to be there, you're there. But, you know, is then the downtime. You know, so the downtime's either going to be spent hitting more balls, hitting more putts, you know, playing for a few quid on the short game area to see how many times you can get up and down. I mean, that's, you know, that was always a favourite to Sevier's, of course. Um, you know, Sevier would play double or quits until he won or hadn't lost. Um, <laughs> and no money exchange hands. Um, you know, from 
from that Spaniard's wallet. Uh, <laughs> in in going in going oh, well, <laughs> Sorry. It just a hustle, you know. I mean, there's, there is, you know, affectionately, you know, he was the best hustler out there. Yeah, and look, you know, Trevino is the same. You know, come from very humble backgrounds, and um, you know, you learn a lot to lose. That's the bottom line, and you know, and you make the rules up to facilitate that as well. I'm not saying that there's any fiddling going on. It's just a case of, you know, if, if, so yeah, but if Sevi <laughs> lost ten on the bounce, it would be double or quits until he won. And then he returned in time for dinner and you're paying. Um, you know, really, it would be, you know, along those lines. I mean, that was my interpretation of the Spanish, of course. Um, mm-hmm. You know, but yeah, I mean, ultimately, you know, players have got a lot of time on their hands. And, you know, and, and a professional sportsman. So I'm going to say this in the context of being a professional sportsman myself, albeit, you know, I don't play for a living. Um, anymore and never played to the level that you know I could have made a living playing um, significant enough anyway but ultimately you know there is an element of um, kid-like quality you know that, that goes mm. on there is a, it, there's an element of juvenile would be the wrong word but there's definitely a sort of a playground area you know the putting green the practice ground you see it when the players are sort of you know, hitting shots towards the, the driving range cart, you know, um, chasing the, the, the ball picker, um, you know, we're running shots, you know, trying to hit the targets, you know, they, they're doing it like kids, you know, and I think it's fascinating to see grown men and and women, of course, but, you know, particularly the, the men just don't seem to grow up, you know, they're, they, they're having some fun but in the meantime, you know, they may well also be running the risk of losing some of the quality and, you know, in their in their swing. Yeah. When you get onto the putting green to remain focused for a couple of hours is almost impossible. I'm not saying that players can't, some can, but it's almost impossible. And, you know, to see a player grinding on the putting green partly bent over a putter that's too short so the back's going to ache that's going to be one thing so then they're flexing then they're chatting and then they're distracted and then they'll come back to a few putts and they're a little bit distracted and you know they get into the zone you see them miss a few putts and then they get into the zone again um it's almost as if they're trying to fill time rather than actually develop the skill they know what they've got to do they know sorry they know that they should be doing it and they think they know what they're trying to do to do it, but actually they're potentially doing more harm than good. Um, especially if they don't enjoy it, you know, and if a player has been struggling in a particular area of the game, you know, and, and putting being that particular area to go and suggest that they should do two hours practice every day to grind their way out of it, you know, with it hurting them. There's no, there's nothing, nothing sexy and you know, largely limited satisfaction with regards to hitting balls in a hole or towards a hole. Mm-hmm. Very little. Um, you know, trying to make difficult lies around the short game area and, you know, get up and down out of some thick rough, which, you know, by Wednesday has been trampled to next to nothing anyway. Um, you know, find a plug lie in a bunker and, it, it, you know, you might, might be able to do that for 50 shots and retain some focus and attention but you know to spend a couple of hours rolling the ball 
for all intents and purposes, is exactly the same whether you're hitting the 10 foot putt, 20 foot putt. The only difference is speed. Um, yeah. Rolling a putt to a given target is, um, is boring. <laughs> Want to a better expression, he's boring. Uh, you know, there's there's very few of us that will get off on it. Um, you know, in terms of I want to go and practice my putting, and you know, the best way from my point of view, you know, we've got green stage in the in the studio, and we have a laugh and a you know a whole lot of practice fun, you know, on that. But it rarely gets past half an hour. You know, I can can manipulate the that green stage, you know, into a myriad of different positions. But half an hour and you know, and, and I enjoy my putting and I enjoy my putting practice. You know, I want to achieve something when I go and practice. And you know, I mean and you know, likewise when I say to parents coming for you know with their juniors, um, you know, they bring their youngsters along, get them doing what they need to do. And then you know achieve the result that they've set out to do make sure there's a specific point of reference for practicing you know go and do your rule of practice go and smash your personal best um do what's necessary to achieve that um because then that there's some focus you know go and practice your distance putting you know go and get your 10 ball inside the club uh, club distance that we talk about and ultimately you've got you know you've you've nailed that and they're going vary it now out on the putting green so you've got a right to left putt not uphill putt a downhill putt left to right putt you know work out how much extra break you can put in there and you know all those things that will keep you interested but ultimately once you've got your speed controls at a tournament um you you figure your speeds out and of course they vary each day so you need to do speed calibration every day that as greens get into the week and the grass has been cut and the, you know, the greens have been rolled, you know, more significantly, the greens are getting quicker by the weekend. You're adapting to it, but you do need to go in and do your calibrations. You know, the same putt on mm. Monday is going to be very different on, um, on Sunday. And of course we'll see that at um, Celtic Manor this week when Europe does its version of the Memorial, you know, hosting the same tournament um, on the same venue or an additional tournament on the same venue. Um, you know, all these things are, uh, you know, significant. You know, the, the greens will be quicker this week because they had a week's worth of cutting. You know, and they were quick last week too. You know, I mean, so uh, they were not slow by any means. So it'll be interesting to see what they do with them. And then, of course, they've also got to find another, you know, handful of pin locations as well. Um, the greens are big mm -hmm. enough, but they've got to find four very different pin locations. Um, you know, which is not easy to do, especially when you, you're speeding the greens up the second week uh, as well. But I'm, I'm sure from a logistics point of view, they figured that one out. But um, yeah, you brought going, board going back to, yeah. and, and with that in mind, going back to kind of practice, mm -hmm. we we saw your friend back on, on tour this week with his um, footwear or a certain unusual <laughs> type of footwear, Mr. Kistner. Um, if, if people haven't seen it, Andy, explain the training aid and explain the kind of method. What What's going on? What's Kevin Kistner trying to do? Um, let's just clarify that uh, Kevin and I actually don't know each other, although we have communicated <laughs> over this particular pair of training aids. So, but if, if you could imagine um, a, a um, half a ball, half a tennis ball, 
strapped to the bottom of your feet, um, then you can imagine, you know, pretty much what that is. Or standing on two oranges. I mean, that's that's probably as good a, so you know, and without them bursting, of course. Um, the, <laughs> the, what Kevin's ultimately trying to do is set himself up with some good, with some balance features. The challenge that I've got with it is that the, in order to, to stand on something um, as well. And, and balance and then make a stroke there are two issues number one you're standing two to three inches taller um than you already are and probably using the same club that you would normally use now that for me is the biggest challenge because now when he comes down to a proper length club oh sorry to back to the ground the club that he's normally using is postured in a different position now i'm not saying that that's necessarily a, a wrong thing either but um it's a different thing so what the drill is attempting to do is to put kevin into a a, um, a balance uh, challenge and you know by standing on these pads uh these balls he, he's compromising his balance and subsequently you know trying to get his brain and body to to unify with um you know with balance this is for me one of the biggest um sort of reference points really for poor posture if you bend over too far and again not suggesting that kevin is um but if you bend over too far you are ultimately um affecting your balance by the way that the brain works and if you bend over too far you may not notice that you are out of balance but you are compromising your balance and for that reason then the brain goes a little bit mushy a bit cloudy a bit foggy you call it whatever you will but you are struggling then to get into the zone of the stroke elements and speed control and you know the, being able to instinctively flow with the stroke and this is where the, the biggest challenge comes from and and when you're trying to retain balance the last thing you will ever do is rotate your chest which is the only movement that instigate or sort of works on the um, initiative of the brain and the instinctiveness of the brain so you know to move the putter from side to side you move in the handle the handle is obviously attached to the shaft shafts attached to the head when you move the hands and the arms by rotation of the chest, your hands swing the putter in plane from side to side. The shaft staying at the same angle, the club face doesn't rotate around the body like a rotation of the chest would suggest. As a normal swing, the club doesn't rotate around the body either. It swings on plane up and down and it's the shaft angle that determines the plane and there's no difference in the putter. So we're not talking about arcing the putter um, in this and, you know, another podcast, I think, is uh, um, required for describing this. But ultimately, you know, trying to trying to get the balance is a really good thing, but setting yourself up three inches taller than you ordinarily are, probably using the same club is then going to compromise your balance even more. I just don't see, I think I see it as a gimmick. Um, I don't see it as something that is beneficial um, at all. And, you know, uh, you know, I'd rather see somebody standing on, you know, a, we use insulation pipe um, 
you know, as a as a reference point, it's got a hole in the middle. Those of you that would be reasonably, it's a pipe lagging basically, but it's foam, a little bit like a pool noodle for our friends across the pond, um, more familiar with those, but without, it's got a hole in the middle. It's basically, it's not a solid foam um, uh, noodle. It, it is a tube and that allows us to compress it. And we need to have that set up between the heels and the balls of the foot, not balance on the balls of your feet because that takes pressure off your heels and you need pressure in your heels in order to retain balance. So, you know, it's not, you don't set up on your heels, you've got to be nicely balanced in the middle of your feet, um, rather than the top of your laces. So it, it, again, it comes down to it. When you get yourself set up on something that is going to be taller, you need to be using a longer club. And if you're going to be struggling with your balance because you're leaning forward, you know, and backwards trying to get your balance right, just going to compromise your brain brain's ability to swing the putter freely so you know in all of that um you know it comes down to it that it's uh, two thumbs down for me as a as an exercise as a drill and as and certainly as a training aid um you know and it's it, yeah it focus shouting about it because it becomes topical because it gets onto tv but um it's not going to help your putting don't go rushing that's the point isn't it really it looks it looks a little bit unusual. Yeah. Um, and they seem one of the one of the best putters in the world using it and they're thinking this is this is great. And there's a, there is an element. Yeah. yeah. There's an, there is an element, uh, you know, folks, that the, 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 the placebo effect does work. You know, if you feel that you're doing something that's going to help you, then crack on, do it. You know, because if you feel that it's helping you, it is helping you. Um, you know, because it possibly is only half of 1%, but if you're looking for 1%, you're halfway there. And, yeah. you know, so, so yes, Kevin's definitely onto something, but he's not onto it wholly and not necessarily onto it for the right reasons. And when you get onto things for the right reasons, it's easier to find 10%, not just half of 1%. So, um, which is where, you know, so many uh, improvements you know we see come from it. I mean look if you're looking to improve your putting from 40 to 30 four putts is the improvement ratio of 10% you know you can do that you know four putts of 36 you know another 10% of that you know 20% and all of a sudden now you're down to 32 and you know that's doable by understanding posture putter length determines posture and getting the stroke learning how to stroke the ball you know, with an instinctive stroke. And that's ultimately what we're, you know, I'm here to shout about and, you know, here to, you know, to tell everybody that not just those of you that are converted, but, you know, to tell your friends, you know, listen to what, you know, we've got to say here because, you know, this will improve your golf. It's guaranteed to improve your golf. And, you know, yeah. you don't, if, if, you know, if you want to question it and contact me, you know, golf at andygorman.com, you know, there's an email address there contact me ask me how you know if you want to arrange a call before you even think about a consultation you know on your put in you know then contact me on the email you can contact us on the the website at andygormangolf.com you know all the social channels um you know that are there and available at Andy Gorman Golf, you know, then, you know, join the dots, you know, so if you know how to get hold of us, hit that DM, you know, ask a question. I'm here to answer. If I can't do it straight away, I will get to you. I've, you know, it might take 
a few days ordinarily you know sort of within 48 hours i'll be back with you but um you know and i might have to look in my junk folder at least for the emails but you know i will find you um you know and i'll find your question and i will get back to you and it will be me it won't be a bot that you know is sort of suggesting something it is definitely you'll get a contact from me that will say look you know would you like to have a chat and you know and and feel free you can have a chat with me um you know i've done this for long enough now to say that every single person can learn to be the best putter in the in the world on the planet purely and simply because you don't have to be an athlete and you do not have to be a great golfer because putting is not about being a great golfer sometimes being a great golfer is ball striking capabilities that are not we've you know within our grasp but putting is within everybody's grasp you know you, yeah and and you know i say this with all due respect you do not have to be an athlete you know, I have to be, you know, fit and strong and able to generate 120 mile an hour club head speed before you can start to think about performing. Anybody can learn to putt and subsequently from there learn to improve their short game and learn how to get the ball close from inside 100 yards. So, you know, it's it's within everybody's grasp. That's the beauty about, you know, the area of the game that I teach. I am guaranteeing that I can teach you to improve at a level that you want, you know, and if you've got the time, and you know you're prepared to put the work in you can do it you know and you don't need hours and hours and hours a week you know you can do it whilst you've still got you know your day job time with your family and a few rounds of golf to fit in as well feel free you know get in touch good stuff what's coming up this week andy what are you excited about anything from a golfing perspective or have you got on personally personally i've got a very busy diary just about to head out there uh now couple of uh, clients that we've um started the ball rolling excuse the pun um just mm-hmm. pre-covid and so you know we're we're all sort of back out the woodwork um with those there so so i'm looking forward to catching up with uh, the guys this afternoon and tomorrow um again I've, I've probably got a dozen inquiries since the weekend which is fantastic and i'm picking them off and doing them as i can um you know so i will be with you um and then you know yeah busy weekend coaching again um looking forward to uh, well yeah absolutely ran for on saturday coach until about four o'clock which is great and following week as well and the following week so you know it's all looking very very busy i am in um uh, i'm in front of the tv again uh, on <laughs> the weekend because i'll be looking to see how Celtic Manor survives. It's Wales. It will rain. Um, mm-hmm. I hope they, they get 72 holes in uh, before they end up right on our patch at the Belfry next week. Um, yeah, Tour Championship starts. Ladies, Women's Open. Um, it's the British, Ladies British Open, renamed the Women's Open this year. But um, so at Troon, of course, and, you know, it will be wet and blustery and it will be a challenge for the girls there. And I would imagine a pretty tight score as well. Uh, reasonably close to power. I don't know what the course is playing like, but if it's on the west coast of Scotland this time of the year, it's going to be blowing and it's going to be wet. So It looks cold, Andy. Yeah, it, yeah, cold. Yeah, it is. It's going to be a tough <laughs> challenge for them. So, so yeah, there'll be a bit of golf over the weekend, but, um, you know, not necessarily for me. I will be back at practicing uh as well this evening and uh you know the next few days because i'm enjoying my practicing at the moment um 
you know, yeah, always looking to find a way to get the ball in the hole in one putt. So, um, yeah, so that's that's pretty much me for the next few days. And, of course, we will be back as scheduled, as normal, on a Monday yep. for next week. So uh, nothing going to get in the way, um, short of any tech issues. We hope that that won't be the case. And we hope that you have actually enjoyed a full uh, session today uh, with the information that we've got. We've got plenty. Look, the stores of this... Uh, uh, you know, knowledge, you know, it's coming out of the woodwork. Mm -hmm. I'm digging deep, you know, the sawdust is being stirred in the back of the brain. Um, you know, conversations I've had with players, conversations I've had with, you know, leading manufacturers and designers and, and the like. And, you know, um, and next week we will discuss, Gareth, we will have the discussion about um, the evolution of the putter and where mm -hmm. it's come from. And, uh, you know, I'll, uh, I will dig into my, um, history books uh, a little bit and we'll establish um, who did what, when and why um, about around the putter. So um, yeah, if uh, Love it. if everybody would like to join us again next week, uh, feel free to do so. Do appreciate it. We're not just chatting for the sake of chatting and do want to be uh, something of worth to you. And uh, if you've got any questions that you would like answering, I think it'll be uh, remiss if I didn't say throw us an email and um, you know golf at andygorman.com and if you've got any questions that you'd like answering at some point we will get them answered um, and we'll give you a shout out so uh, I do appreciate that good stuff thanks Andy thank you thanks everybody and we'll see you next week catch you soon